Some of the reviews have been coming in. They've all been five stars out of five. A couple of them even have comments in them. One of them says, it's the Twitter account brought to life. Best commentary on Canada. Another one says, up to the minute issues with lots of humor and sarcasm. I love it. Folks, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Now, a brief word from our sponsors. This episode of My 222 Cents is brought to you by Canadian Oil and Gas. Not literally, though. No one paid me to say that, but all the equipment used to make it and whatever you use to listen to it on is too. The power I used to run this equipment was generated with fossil fuels, unlike Texas, where they have more rolling blackouts than I did that time I went to Oktoberfest in Germany. If you work in Canadian oil and gas, thanks for making this podcast possible. And now, your number one source for what's happening in Canada today. From the mind that brought you 222 minutes, this is my 222 cents. Three, two, one. So is it just me, or does this whole vaccine thing seem a tiny bit fucky? Despite the fact that we have the fourth most expensive healthcare in the world, according to the OECD, and our most expensive province, Alberta, is the highest region globally at a third more than second place Australia, we aren't even 50th in terms of vaccine rollout. The Liberals didn't just drop the ball on this one. They dropped the ball, shot it with a fully semi-automatic military-style assault rifle, which was of course painted black, and then took a big steaming dump on it. By the way, how come Justin Trudeau is the only thing in Canada that isn't more scary when it's painted black? The first red flag was when they proudly announced that they had secured 350 million vaccines. It seemed a bit suspicious at the time, given that our population is a tenth of that. And in hindsight, the word secured means about as much coming from them as the word contender does coming from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Seriously, guys, you've gone through more building years than ancient Egypt, and you have nothing to show for it. Hang your head in shame. Now, Providence Therapeutics is a company that is capable of vaccine manufacturing. Sadly, though, they're in kind of a weird spot. That is to say, Calgary, Alberta. Justin Trudeau refuses to work with them. He's even said during interviews that there are no facilities in Canada capable of vaccine manufacturing. Now, to be fair, this isn't the first time he's forgotten that Alberta was part of Canada. It wasn't too long ago that he named every province but Alberta in a Canada Day speech. But I digress. We have a situation where a manufacturing facility is capable of making these things, but is not. Justin Trudeau would literally rather have a broken supply chain with trickles stolen from third world country outreach and undisclosed contracts than use a company in Alberta. Now, it's not entirely impossible that the Liberals can salvage a win on this, but right now it's about as likely as a character in a movie staying in the car when someone else tells them to stay in the car. I'm calling it now. 
If Canadian politics is in any way a glimpse into America's future, Joe Biden is going to spend the rest of his time in office blaming the last guy for every single thing that goes wrong. And the worst part is that if Trudeau actually does manage to scrape together an 11th hour victory on this, it's going to be at an astronomical cost that is hidden in confidential contracts, so we'll never know the truth about it. The Liberal government is afraid of transparency, and that, technically, means that they're transphobic. The constant need to manage Prince Harry hasn't really done much to improve the perception of royalty in the Commonwealth. Even when he was part of the military, he'd sneak away from training in Alberta to go bang waitresses in Calgary. The last few years he shared with Meghan Markle have also been bad, culminating recently with Buckingham Palace's announcing that the couple would not be returning as, quote, working members of the royal family. What the hell is a working member of the royal family? Have they started doing their own landscaping? Do they get paid whenever they cook the royal meal for them royal selves? Prince Harry is pretty much the Justin Trudeau of England. He gets paid to occasionally leave his palace and have better hair than the people around him. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, let's make the Trudeaus Canada's royal family. Seriously, hear me out on this. The guy doesn't actually want to be in charge. He doesn't want responsibility. He just wants the spotlight and sycophantic adoration. His attendance record alone will tell you that much. So let the baby have his bottle. Let him do all the things we'd normally expect from the royal family. He can do ribbon-cutting ceremonies, make largely ignored statements about global warming, and scowl at poor people. In the meantime, we can have an actual grown-up running things around here for once. In an announcement that isn't the least bit suspicious, Canada's minister of It Changes by the Week, Seamus O'Regan, took to Twitter to endorse a company making electric snowmobiles. In terms of personal fitness, an electric vehicle that you drive around the middle of nowhere in the winter sounds like a great way to stay in shape. So make sure you wear your helmet and your Fitbit so you can count all your steps back home. The vote on the Uyghur atrocities is happening in the next couple of days in Parliament. This is a Conservative Party motion calling on Canada to formally declare crimes against Uyghur Muslims by the Chinese government as a genocide. For those of you who haven't kept up on this, the Chinese government has been shipping Muslims on trains to re-education camps where they're tortured, take part in forced labor, the women are often raped and or sterilized, and this has happened to over a million people. It's basically Auschwitz 2.0, except instead of starving the prisoners, they're allowed to eat pork if they do a good enough job of praising the Chinese government before their meal. From the way the liberals have been avoiding saying much of anything at all about it, it's expected that they will vote against it. This is voting against publicly condemning the country that is currently holding two Canadians prisoner without charges and has been doing so for over two years now. This is the country that Canada still gives foreign aid to and refuses to play hardball, hell, refuses to play slow pitch with. 
I guess buying a bronze statue of your stepfather gets you a lot of favors with Justin Trudeau. The Chinese flag is literally a red flag, people. This isn't exactly climate science. And do you want to know the craziest thing about this? The real kicker? The Conservative Party, the same people you've been calling Islamophobic for years, are the only ones speaking out against the Uyghur genocide. According to a video shared by Greenpeace a little while ago, every minute of every day, an area the size of two soccer fields is cut out of the Amazon. Now, I'm not trying to say that everyone in Greenpeace has a tiny dick, but the video ended by asking, are you in? Now, I know what you're thinking. Two, two, two. Those crazy idiots are banned from a lot of countries, including Peru, where they vandalized a UNESCO World Heritage Site to make a billboard. Why do we give a rat's ass about what those zealots think? Great question. We don't. But it's still important to talk about. First off, let's talk about why the soccer pitch isn't a standard unit of measurement. A regulation pitch is anywhere from 50 to 100 yards wide and between 100 and 130 yards long. A regulation pitch can have an area as little as 0.4 acres or as much as 1.2 acres. There's literally a threefold difference. So where's the actual answer about clear cutting? We don't know. And this is the purposely ambiguous stuff people like this use to whip folks up into a frenzy. Now, for the record, I don't think clear-cutting is a good idea, but I don't think we can be hypocritical about responsibly developing untamed land. Everything you eat comes from a field or pasture that used to be part of nature. And here's something to think about. If you live right next to an old-growth forest, it means that your home, and therefore you, are direct contributors to deforestation. The forest didn't just magically decide to stop at your fucking mailbox. The entire city of Vancouver, I'm talking to you people. How does it feel knowing a family of Tweety birds used to live in the tree that your soapbox is made out of? This whole thing is a giant clusterfuck. You've got people who deliberately throw around misleading information, people who won't own up to their own hypocrisy, and finally... The whole idea doesn't make a lick of sense to me. Before I get into this, though, I'm not an expert. I'm just trying to look at this logically. If you actually are an expert, please let me know. I would love to understand this. The only thing I like better than being right all the time is being wrong. Anyway, here's how this looks to me. The basic idea is that you only get a few good growing years in South America before the nutrients in the soil become depleted, so they keep chopping down the forests around them to get to the fresh stuff. Apparently, chopping down the literal rainforest is cheaper than hauling in fertilizer. But here's the thing. Every time you do this, it gets more expensive. You gotta make the road a bit longer. Your daily commute to the field takes more time. You use more fuel with the added transportation costs. Now, of course, these things are going to take time to add up for individual farmers, but this is on a big scale. Remember that every minute an area is deforested that's somewhere between the size of two regulation soccer fields and the size of two regulation soccer fields. Eventually, it's going to reach a break-even point 
where fertilizer is going to be just as expensive and less hassle. Population growth aside, I don't know why this problem hasn't solved itself already. Breaking news. The Newfoundland election has been postponed due to a sudden uptick in COVID cases. The election timeline has been extended by a month and the election itself will be done entirely by mail. In an effort to assuage concerns over the legitimacy of this, the chief electoral officer said, and I quote, <clears throat> Officer, by it's best kind by far from the Newfoundland. The Ontario opposition leader, Andrea Horwath, was in the news last week, and for once, it wasn't for her freak show son. Doug Ford said that listening to her was like hearing nails on a chalkboard, and, NDP being NDP, she tried to turn it into a sexist, misogynist thing. So far, Doug Ford hasn't retracted anything yet, and I hope he doesn't. There's nothing inherently sexist about it. As my friend Laura from the Zero Waste Countdown podcast pointed out, everyone has fingernails. And here's the problem with turning everything into a race or a gender issue. Every politician it applies to tries to use it as cover every time they catch hell about something. Kathleen Wynne tried to use it to deflect from her disastrous showing in the last Ontario election. Voters didn't support her because they're sexist. Same thing with Rachel Notley in Alberta and Christy Clark in BC. Ladies, let me mansplain something to you. You got voted in your first term. Voters were willing to mark you on the ballot. Ergo, them not voting for you in successive elections has no reflection on your gender. Hell, in Alberta, the mecca of misogyny, they had a female premier and female opposition leader at the same time. And what? Are you going to tell me that they couldn't balance a budget because their big stupid boobs got in the way? Voting for someone just because they're a woman is bad. Elizabeth Bathory was a Transylvanian countess who was convicted on 80 counts of murder and cannibalism. She's a woman though. Maybe they should have just voted for her instead of imprisoning her for the rest of her life. Hell, that's what everyone said the state should do about Hillary Clinton, and her body count isn't nearly that high. Hashtag girl power. Speaking of cannibalism, I was recently blocked by a woman on Twitter who thought people making jokes about cannibalism was insensitive to the victims who lacked the courage to come forward. Victims of cannibalism. Well, I'm going to do a bit more mansplaining here. Cannibalism isn't exactly something that you can just walk off. In fact, one of the main symptoms of being cannibalized is death. The recovery rate for victims of cannibalization is pretty much zero. We need to make sure all minority voices are being heard, except critical thinkers for some reason. Now look, if you're a female politician, you can't just go around shrugging off every criticism as misogyny. You have to face the music and be accountable for your bad decisions, whether they're sounding like a temperamental child in Parliament, 
making a string of bad decisions that throws millions of your constituents into poverty, or, in the case of someone like Catherine McKenna, sending out a string of tweets so idiotic you could use them to make a case for better parking. If you never own up to anything, people are going to stop supporting you. They're going to say, I can't vote for this person because if they get elected and screw up, I can't ever criticize them. And if you're voting for a woman because she's a woman, what do you do if the entire slate of candidates are women? Do you vote for the most womanly woman? Do we have to put cuff size on the ballot so voters can tell who that is? Have I mansplained this enough for you yet? Look, I have nothing against women in politics. In fact, I'd prefer it. I would love to be able to say, look at that giant tit. And for once, not be talking about the prime minister. Let's have representatives who push up more than just the middle class. But if they're going to be role models for the next generation, they need to start seeing gender as a badge of honor instead of a shield to hide behind. Doug Ford isn't totally without criticism this week, though. The recent independent, Roman Baber, tried passing a motion in the Ontario Parliament that their members should not be paid any higher than CERB handouts until the pandemic is over. In response, the Ontario Conservatives voted unanimously to cut his and only his salary to that level. Aside from Drew Barnes in Alberta, this is the first politician I've heard of who takes the plight of their constituents seriously enough to do something about it. And the Ontario Conservatives tried to shame him for it? Get the fuck out of here! Roman Babber, for those who don't follow Ontario politics, was recently ousted from the Conservative Party for publicly voicing concerns over the lockdown. Not including Jim Wilson, who was kicked out of the party due to alleged sexual misconduct, there have been a total of three Ontario MPPs kicked out of the Conservative Party so far this term, giving them nearly enough seats to pass the Liberals, and getting closer every day to being able to claim official party status. This is bullshit, and it needs to stop. We can't expect individual members of any parliament to always side with the House. They need to be able to look after their local citizens. Ralph Mediumdale might have stood a hope of being re-elected in 2019 in Saskatchewan if he'd ever voted against the Liberals. And the whole thing was stupid. It wouldn't have been very hard at all to say, hey, we have the majority. These Western Canada death spiral bills are going to pass with or without you. So vote for your people. Maybe they'll remember it. And hopefully we'll be stronger next election. But no, it's more important for our political parties to give the mirage of uniformity rather than the reality of local representation. Now look, this is something that is a systemic problem. And unlike other supposed systemic problems we've heard about lately, we can actually define it. We pay these people a lot of money with the understanding that they'll look after our interests. My local MP, a conservative, is just there to cash a check. I'm not even joking when I say that we would have a louder voice in Ottawa if our riding had elected a literal cricket. As I'm sure you're aware, 
we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of two weeks to flatten the curve. Yeah, everyone's pissed because we've been lied to. But while we're all fuming about it, we are missing out on a great opportunity here. We've been running a giant deficit. It's unsustainable. Hell, it was unsustainable before all this COVID shit. We need to get our finances back on track by getting our costs down. Up until now, the private sector, the people who actually make the money that becomes taxes, has been bearing the brunt of it. What we need is just a brief moment in time where the public sector shares some of that strain with us. I'm thinking we cut all pay in the public sector. Two weeks to flatten the deficit. But we make it the same two weeks they gave us. You see, I have this theory. If we shut down the entire federal government, no one would notice. It wouldn't make a difference for a very long time. Yeah, there's going to be outliers, and cracks would show up in a few places, but it would help us establish a baseline for what's actually needed going forward. There's a strategy you see in business sometimes. If you have a task you see as pointless, can you stop doing it for three months? If so, stop doing it for three months. If no one follows up with you or asks about it for three months, stop doing it forever. Obviously, it doesn't apply to things needed for audits and whatnot, but it's a really good rule of thumb. How many tasks, employees, entire departments in the federal government would lose all relevance if we applied the same logic there? And make no mistake about it, the government is by far the biggest company in Canada. The only difference between literally every other company in Canada and our government is that literally every other company in Canada lives and exists and remains solvent only so long as it actually meets the needs of its customers. Folks, I want to get serious for a moment before I leave you today. I told a few jokes about women this week, but it is not a laughing matter. Having boobs affects roughly half the Canadian population, and for some, they can be a very heavy burden. Ladies, I want you to know that you are not alone in this. If you or someone you know is going through this, you don't have to rely on your bra to give you the support you need. You can rely on me as well. I'm 222 minutes, and this has been my 222 cents.